It feels to Natasha like it's been an hour since she started yelling at Misha to wake up, hoping and hoping that he wasn't dead. But in fact, it's only a minute before Misha finally comes to. Oh, thanks God, Misha. Just tell me which hangar to go, so we can hurry and get you to the ship. Misha gives Natasha a weak smile and reaches for her and cups her face and brings her toward him. For a moment, Natasha is freaked, thinking he's trying to make out with her or something. But instead, Misha gently places his forehead against hers and holds it there. Soon, Natasha feels an odd sensation, as if there is a vice closing around her brain, tighter and tighter, which causes discomfort but is not necessarily painful. And then she closes her eyes and sees what seems like millions of images flashing by so fast she can't make out what she's seeing. And then it's over. Misha collapses onto the seat. Misha? What just happened? Natasha, you have to hurry now. I know, but you haven't told me. It hits her just then that she knows exactly where she needs to go. She's not sure how that happened, but she steps on the gas and barrels through the security gate and heads toward the hangars. Approaching the two military helicopters that had landed minutes before, she sees what look like special ops troops disembarking the aircraft. And as she speeds past them, they commence running after the van. Coming up behind them are the cops who have now made their way onto the tarmac. By the time she pulls up to the designated hangar, airport security has joined the convoy to chase her down. Natasha drives around to the inside of the hangar and stops in front of a man door. She gets out of the van and checks the door, and of course it's locked. There's a keypad under the doorknob, and somehow Natasha knows the code and opens the door. She helps Misha out of the van and into the hangar. It's dark in there, with the only light coming from the doorway. She sits Misha down on the concrete floor and finds the light switch. When the lights come on, she's in for an unpleasant surprise. Misha, there is nothing there. It's there. Misha is fading out, barely able to speak. Just... you'll know what to do. The hangar is now surrounded by the cops, security, and the troops. Natasha slams the man door shut and makes sure it's locked. She looks around the utterly empty hangar and is at a total loss. There's a loud banging that makes Natasha jump. It's coming from outside of the man door. Most likely, someone using a battering ram to break open the door. 
there's the screech of a bullhorn coming to life, followed by an amplified male voice saying that the hangar is surrounded and for those inside to come peacefully with hands raised. Among the noise and threats and stress, Natasha tries to get her mind focused and her heart rate lowered to a more manageable level. The effort works. When she becomes more relaxed, she sees it in her mind. It looks like an aircraft, but she's not quite sure because the image is blurry. She concentrates harder and the vision comes into focus. It's about the length of a school bus, but shaped like a submarine, a capsule with a gray metallic sheen. There are four stubby wings, two in the middle, two at the rear, no windows, and one side door. When Natasha opens her eyes, something is beginning to materialize, like a chameleon changing its color from that of its environment to its original shade. It's the same image Natasha saw in her vision, except not so shiny and with scorch marks streaking its length. It sits flush to the floor, no wheels, no bracings. It's Misha's spacecraft. It has to be. It was literally hidden in plain sight by way of a cloaking device. Natasha hears someone speaking, but it's an unfamiliar language. She can understand English. Talk to her. She? My ship. Oh, okay. Does ship have a name? Veroshka. That name, Veroshka. It's Vera's nickname. Oh my god, you really do love my sister. Okay, so, Verochka, can you open the door? The side door opens. The lights in the ship flicker on. Natasha helps Misha up and into the ship. Just as the man door of the hangar is broken down and cops and soldiers come pouring through, the ship's door slams shut. Inside of the ship, there is one circular room, the size of which reminds Natasha of her first apartment, a tiny studio. The walls are white and blank, and in the middle of the room or cockpit, there is a single chair that looks like the hybrid of a comfy recliner and a racing car seat. Natasha lays Misha onto the smooth floor. There's the banging from the battering ram again, this time against the ship's door. Misha, where's the medical part? We'll worry about that once we're airborne. For now, we need to get out of here right away. You're in a bad shape. We need to take care of you now. No. The longer we stay here, the more danger we're in. What? Listen, it's not just about me anymore. 
It's about rescuing Vera and our child. If you're stopped here, then they're going to die. The banging at the ship's door has stopped. You are in no shape to fly this thing. That's why you're going to do it. What the fuck are you talking about? Go sit in the seat. You'll know what to do. Why do you keep saying that? I haven't been wrong, have I? No, but what did you do to me? Since I'm barely functional right now, I thought it was best to download some abilities and information into you. You download stuff into me? Like uh, when we touch foreheads? That's right. Sorry, but I didn't have time to discuss the ethics and consequences of what I was about to do. The ship has organic AI. It telepathically knows that I've authorized you to take control. So, go ahead and take control at... and... Let's go save my Vera. Natasha girds herself and goes to sit in the seat. And, as Misha said, she apparently knows what to do. Verochka, show me the view. The wall lights up as a screen, showing a 360-degree view of the exterior. The hangar is indeed crawling with cops and airport security and the special ops guys one of whom is trying to attach something to the ship's door. What is the guy doing to the door? It appears that they are attempting to attach an explosive device to the hatch in order to gain entry. Oh shit. Verochka, engage the engine. There's a low hum that starts up and gets progressively louder. The hangar doors? How do we open them, Misha? She looks at Misha. But he's passed out cold again. Natasha is about to lose her mind. But she tells herself to calm down and to stay focused. After taking a deep, cleansing breath, Natasha asks Verochka to provide her with some suggestions. Verochka recommends a high-energy-level electromagnetic pulse to blast open the hangar doors. But she warns Natasha that there will be casualties. Does these casualties include me, Misha, or you? No, they do not. Then what the fuck are you waiting for? Do it. Let's go. Initiating EMP bursts. There is no sound or visual cue of the EMP blasts except for the sheet metal doors of the hangar being pounded outward 
as if by a giant invisible hammer. The doors eventually explode outward and take with them any personnel and vehicles that happen to be in their way. Vierichka levitates off the floor and slowly moves forward out of the hangar. There's noises like popcorn popping, and Natasha sees on the screen that anyone who has a weapon is shooting at the spaceship. But the ship is unaffected. Once Vierichka clears the hangar, it increases speed and gains altitude. We will be reaching the cruising altitude of 40,000 feet in one minute. Please inform me of your destination. Russia, San Petersburg. Destination confirmed. Natasha hops out of the seat and rushes to attend to Misha. Misha? Hey, wake up. We made it. We are on our way to rescue Vera. Misha? He's non-responsive. Natasha shakes him, but his body reacts limply. She checks for the pulse in his wrist, his neck, but she feels nothing. She then puts her ear to his chest. Nothing. Oh no, Misha, no. Verochka, where's the medical pod? We need to help Misha. This ship is not equipped with a medical pod. Also, biometric readings indicate that, quote, Misha's heart has stopped and brain function subsequently ceased, causing clinical death. But, but he said there were medical pod here. Why would he say that? Why? It hits her just then that Misha lied, so Natasha wouldn't take him to an ER and instead bring him, them, to the spaceship. He wasn't trying to save himself. He was making sure that Natasha would continue on to go save Vera and his yet-to-be-born child. Natasha slumps to the floor and lies next to Misha and clutches his bloody body and starts to sob, which is a feeling that's foreign to her. She can't remember the last time she cried. And this thought makes her even sadder, and she wonders whether her life choices have been worth becoming the person that she is, a person who can't remember the last time she had the kind of feeling that makes one cry. Soon, her mind goes to a place where she rarely lets it go. Self-doubt. She's all alone now. Her identity as a double agent having been revealed, the United States will label her as a traitor. Her own country has betrayed her. And both countries are now out to get her because she has not only pissed them off, but she is in possession of the precious technology that everyone covets. Vierichka, this is all your fault, you know. My apologies. I'm kidding, sort of. Poor fucking Misha. All this because he fell in love. Love will fuck you up every time, Vierichka. Acknowledged. Between you and me... I don't know if I can pull this by myself. I feel like I'm literally going up against the wall. Your secret insecurities are safe with me. I am so tired. Natasha closes her eyes and falls fast asleep. She dreams about Vincent during the time that they were a covertly hot and heavy couple while on an overseas assignment trying to balance their work. A whole lot of fucking... The dream moves to Irvine Lake, 
where they are skinny-dipping under the moonlight, while Amanda swims circles around them and makes sounds of approving gurgles and grunts. And then the stars and moon disappear, and Natasha is looking down from above into a dark room lit only by a faint spotlight. There is nothing in the room, but she blinks, and suddenly there is Vera, naked and unconscious, and splayed out on a surgical table. She is very pregnant, and out of the dark shadows of the room, several arms with blue surgical-gloved hands materialize, holding scalpels. They slice Vera's belly in a circumference and twist it open like a lid on a jar. Inside of Vera is a tiny version of Misha, naked and covered in goo. He is extracted from Vera and is placed in what looks like an incubator, sitting atop a half-sized vending machine. One of the gloved hands puts a coin into the machine, and there's the telltale sound of a soda can tumbling down into the receptacle. But instead of a can of soda, it's a cloned version of baby Misha. The process is repeated until there is an army of Mishas. The original Misha is then taken out of the incubator and is placed onto the bloody surgical table where Vera was cut open, but who is no longer there? The blue-gloved hands reappear with their scalpels and commence to dissect little Misha, who screams in pain. Natasha jerks awake, sweaty and breathing hard. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh shit. Please, don't let that be some kind of premonition. She now realizes that if the powers that be find out that a hybrid of alien and human DNA exists, there will be no stopping them from doing whatever necessary to obtain, study, and exploit the powers that lie within that hybrid. In other words, Viera and the unborn child would be in deep shit. Good. You are awake. Good as you were bored and want to talk to someone? Or good if you need me to wake up? Because it's some kind of an emergency. It would be the latter. Okay. Give it to me. There are fighter jets following our flight path at the supersonic speed of over Mach 2. Are we still in U.S. airspace? Yes. We will be flying over the Atlantic seaboard in three minutes. Natasha isn't sure whether the jets have been sent to intimidate her to land the spaceship, or whether their intent is to blow the ship out of the sky to make sure that if the U.S. can't have it, then no one else can. How close are they? We are in visual contact with them. Natasha checks the rearview screen, and among the vast blue of the sky, she can see several fighter jets in the distance, but closing fast. She then cups Misha's face and kisses his forehead and rushes to the seat and straps herself in. Okay, Verochka, let's do this. Let's show those motherfuckers who is the boss.
My name is Mariana Baker. I'm the producer of the podcast Deep State Dossier, as well as the voice of Natasha. We just concluded first season with episode 10. I want to thank you, our amazing actors and our guest actors, Violet Lenz, who voiced the spacecraft Verochka. Thank you all for your support. My co-founder and the writer of Deep State Dossier, Casey Pope, is hard at work on season 2, which will be released soon. Not to give too much away, but there's a sneak peek. Natasha finds way back to Russia with the sole mission of rescuing her sister Vera and Vera's unborn child. Having been outed as a spy against the United States and having been double-crossed by her own government, Natasha is all alone in her effort to protect the child against hostile government agents who wants to possess the half-alien baby for their own gain. Goodbye for now, stay healthy, and stay tuned for Season 2. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck! Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire-breathing kittens podcast. Fantasy action. Mystery. Friendship. Deep State Dossier Podcast is a production of Radio Juice Media. To learn more, go to our website, radiojuicemedia.com. The story was written by Casey Pope and produced by Mariana Baker. The podcast was narrated by Harold Baker. Voice actors are Tori and Hugo Chacon, Mariana Baker, and Vaughn Aronson. Music composed and performed by Daniel Kaplan. Photography by Luke Aronson. If you like this podcast, you might also enjoy Casey's novels, available on Amazon, or visit his website at fugitivejuicemedia.com. Support Deep State Dossier on Patreon at patreon.com slash deepstatedossier for a whole bunch of exclusive stuff. We will shout your name or your business name on a beginning of our show as well as on Twitter. We will also have special episodes of Natasha's Sexy Dreams recorded only for our Patreon patrons. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us five stars and leave a nice review. For more information, including supporting material for each episode, visit RadioJuiceMedia.com, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thanks for listening.